You'll find our text this morning in Genesis chapter 24. I will meet you there. It's said that a picture is, is worth a thousand words. I'm sure you've heard it before. It's definitely not mine. That's to say that complex, sometimes like even multiple ideas can be conveyed in, in a single still image, right, which relays its, its meaning or its essence much more effectively than just um, like mere verbal, uh, a, a mere verbal description. So when Meg and I found out um, that we were pregnant at first, um, we weren't pregnant. Sorry, Megan was pregnant. I don't know why we say that. That's such a weird thing. When we found out that Megan was pregnant, she was with child, um, we were hesitant to tell people at first. Right? We, we, I think we told our parents, but we were very hesitant to tell anybody else. And it wasn't, honestly, it wasn't any sort of medical reasons. It was because we were fearful of being bombarded with unsolicited advice. Right, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Okay, so we were um, a little fearful to tell people, um, but the advice began to pour in once we had kind of announced it. Uh, most of it was, was kind of general, kind of basic, almost common sense, if you will. I appreciate that because I don't have a lot, right? So that's okay. I'm okay with getting just basic knowledge, basic information. Some of it was a little bit like um, unconventional. Maybe like, you know, earth mama sort of. Um, and, and you know what happens when you begin to get bombarded with unsolicited information, unsolicited advice, right? You begin to feel overwhelmed before you know it, and uh, especially if it's something brand new. And they started going in one ear and um, right out the other. But I did, I did take with me two pieces of, uh, of advice that I find absolutely priceless in our very young, young stages of parenting. Now, before you bust out the ink pen, listen, I have uh, all of 16 months of experience with, with the young children. Okay, um, I've worked with teenagers for a long time, more than most people will have in their home. That, that's, you know, that's up my alley. The youngins, I have not much experience. So maybe save your ink for someone who actually knows what they're talking about. But here was two pieces of, uh, of advice that I found priceless thus far. The first was stick to a routine or a schedule, right? This is pretty, this is pretty common. This seems pretty obvious. We're creatures of habit. Okay, you know how jacked up your day gets when just one thing is thrown off from your morning routine. And if yours doesn't, mine surely does. So just imagine what that can do um, to a baby. So uh, the second was this, was, was take lots of pictures or videos. Admittedly, I'm terrible. I am terrible at this, okay? But God gave me Megan, praise God, because she's great, right? She is, she is great at this. I, and, and I love it because I enjoy showing off my baby boy, man. I love showing him off. I bet the people at our lunch table here are sick of seeing my baby boy, the videos, the pictures, um, right? And they tell the story of who he is, what his personality is like, the, the things that he enjoys. Um, and, and it puts it into words, better than I can, right? And so there's nothing quite like being able to illustrate what it is that you're talking about. A picture really is worth a thousand words, right? A picture can also reveal things about the person who took it, right? And so the more pictures 
Or the more paintings that you have, the, the, the larger the body of work you have from someone, the more you can begin to learn about that person who took them. For example, if you were to look at my wife's phone, you go through her phone, you look at the photo album, I'm telling you right now, I know it for a fact. I did not look through it, but I can promise you for a fact, you'll figure out at least four or five things um, that are important to her, right? It'll, like the, our son, the dog, coffee. Um, it, none of these things are in order. Disney, right? You're, you're going to find that out just from her pictures, and it's going to begin to paint this picture of who she is. It's often said that the principles found in the New Testament are pictured throughout the Old Right, that's like a, a, a proper interpretation of both, right? Like when, when we combined the, the outline, the, the solid principles outlined um, in the New Testament, and we combine those things with the things that are illustrated throughout the Old Testament, it begins to reveal just how awesome our God is, right? And just how perfect and gracious his plan is. You ever come up with a plan that's so good? You have a vision that's so good, you just can't wait to tell somebody about it, right? Like, you just can't wait to share it with someone. That, to me, is the Old Testament in a nutshell. Now, two weeks ago, um, we talked about the promises that God made to Abraham. And then we looked at how God entered into a contract or a covenant with Abraham, and then he took sole responsibility for the fulfillment of the promises that he made in that covenant. And through that Abrahamic covenant, we saw that God has a proactive plan to redeem mankind from the curse of sin. We saw that his plan is good and his plan is self-sufficient. That is to say that God himself will ultimately see to the fulfillment of that plan. Isaac is the next living link in the fulfillment of God's promises that he made to Isaac or to Abraham. Right? He is the next link in a series of blessings that is ultimately going to lead to the Savior of the world. So what happens in the story of Isaac is, is of the utmost importance to God's plan of salvation. What happens in the story of Isaac is of the utmost importance to God fulfilling the promises that he made. And it's this beautiful picture of God's plan to redeem humanity. Right, in its entirety, right, through his grace alone, through uh, by faith alone, using the church, the bride of Christ, to spread the good news of his plan, right? And, and in that, we parallel the story of, of Abraham preparing to sacrifice his son Isaac with God the Father's sacrifice of his only son, Jesus, right? And we saw that how on the same mountain range, then called Moriah, now called um, Calvary or Golgotha, just outside of Jerusalem, some two millennia after Isaac, one of his own descendants, Jesus Christ, would be offered up as a sacrifice for our sins on a Roman cross, right? And just as a way of review, Genesis 22, verse 7, it says, Then Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father, and he said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Thus, when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, right, he proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. The son bore the burden of sin. Just as Isaac's father placed wood on his son's back when they came to Mount Moriah, God the Father placed the burden of sins of mankind in its entirety on his son's back at Calvary. 
That's why Peter proclaimed, when he's speaking of Jesus, who his own self bore or bare our sins on his body on that tree. And we being dead to sin should live in righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Isaiah, he prophesied, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Thus the, the fire consumed the wood. And it's this picture, right, in Genesis 22 of the judgment of God against sin. Now, Isaac didn't actually die that day. But in a very figurative sense, he died and was raised again. Jesus, however, literally died and was triumphantly resurrected. And so it's interesting in Genesis 22, when Abraham returns to the servants that he left behind, not one word is mentioned of Isaac. Not one. In fact, we don't see him again until he's meeting his bride at the last part of chapter 24. Isaac is his is what is referred to as a type, right? That's, he's a real person. The, the events that surround his life that are recorded, they are a narrative, right? They actually took place. They are real. They're not allegorical. However, the story of Isaac is a foreshadowing of God's plan. It's a picture perfectly painted, if you will, worth a thousand words. It's often what is referred to as typology. Thus, Isaac is a type of Jesus, it's as if God's so excited to share his great plan of how he's going to redeem mankind that he cannot wait to tell us. And he's painting pictures of it all throughout the Old Testament to Abraham, to Isaac, and then to Isaac's son, Jacob. And throughout the story of Isaac, the Bible reminds us that the next event on God's calendar, right, the next part of his good, proactive, and self-sufficient plan is the return of Jesus Christ to claim his bride, the church. And I don't know about you, but it seems like each day I get a little bit more excited, especially when it snows. Thank you, Bill. Right, this event is what's referred to as the rapture. Jesus described it in John 14. He described it to his disciples like this. He says, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Paul described it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first and then they which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air and so shall we be with him forever. Right? Listen, this is, Genesis 24 is the largest chapter in Genesis, so you better buckle in. No, I'm just playing. This is the largest chapter in the book of Genesis, 67 verses devoted to finding the right wife for Isaac. 67. To put that in a little bit of context, Moses is only allowed 31 for the creation account, yet he's allotted more than double here, suggesting that this marriage is important. More than twice for the entire creation account? This marriage is really, really important. Genesis 24, verse 1 says, And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And when the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. See, at this point in our passage, Abraham is 140 years old. I'd say he was pretty old. And it is of great concern of him that before he dies, he finds a wife 
for his son, Isaac, right? This is the one through whom uh, the promises of God would be fulfilled. Only then could God fulfill his promises um, of many descendants. Only then could he give them um, Canaan, the promised land, right? The land that he promised in the covenant that he made to Abraham, only then. Also, the end of the verse tells us that God um, had blessed Abraham in all things. It's awfully interesting that the one who was willing to leave everything behind and submit to the Lord in obedience was actually blessed in all things. Who, who could have ever seen that coming in a Baptist church? <laughs> verse 2, And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of the house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt take, thou shalt not take us um, unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. In those days, the parents made the marriage arrangements, right? And the man and woman would get married and learn to love each other. It's a little bit different than the pattern that we have um, in our world today. See, back then, the parents would e e arrange the marriage between very young, young children, sometimes even in the womb. Listen, if, if it comes out a boy and you happen to have a girl, let's enter into marriage. It's gonna be great. We're gonna build this dynasty, this mega family, as it were. And they would enter into these arrangements very young. Often, the, the, the subjects wouldn't even meet each other until 17, 18, 19, 20, or even older. And when they would meet, um, they wouldn't immediately get married. See, the son would meet his future bride, and then he would leave. He would return to his father's house and immediately get to work preparing a place for his future bride. Gosh, I sure hope you're trying to pick up what it is I'm laying down. And the servant in this passage is not named. However, Genesis 15 tells us um, that the servant's name is Eliezer. And it's interesting that the servant's name means comforter. John 16, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient that I go away. For if I don't go away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So here's what we have in the story. We have, we have the father in this story, Abraham, and he's dispatching his servant, the comforter, to find a wife for his son, Isaac. Right? The Holy Spirit was sent into the world to draw out a people for himself, a bride, if you will. And in fact, a Gentile bride, just as Isaac's future bride in our passage must be. Verse 5, and the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me into this land. Must I needs bring thy son again into the land from whence thou comest? Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. So it is of the utmost importance to Abraham that his son does not leave the land of Canaan. He's already in the promised land. He's already in the spot that God's promised to them. It's of the utmost importance that he does not go back. This is the land that was promised. Abraham himself had been called out of Ur, and evidently on no account is he going back, nor will he suffer his son um, to go back. Perhaps he's fearful his son will get sidetracked, as we often do. Perhaps he's fearful Isaac will decide, you know, I like this place. I've never been here. It's, it's really pretty. Perhaps I'll just stay. Do you know that there's certain places God does not want you or I to go back to or to go to in the first place? 
Right? And if you're familiar with the story, you know that Eliezer, he makes um, this oath with his master Abraham. And scripture tells us that he takes 10 of his master's camels. He loads them with gifts goods from his master, provisions um, for the trip. This is a great display at just how rich, just how um, rich God had made Abraham. And then we're told that he arose and he went to the land of Nahor, that's in Mesopotamia. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long that this journey took. However, scholars estimated that it took at least a month and a half based upon distance and terrain. And when he arrives in the land of his master, Abraham, the servant Eliezer goes to the town well. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that that is the spot to pick up the ladies. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm being like a little sarcastic. However, if you wanted to inquire about something or someone, that's the place to go. Everybody um, who lives in the town, either a relative or representative um, from everyone in the town would have to go there at some point throughout the day. There's no plumbing. So when he arrives at the well, a train of camels, he has them kneel down, and he begins to pray to the Lord for the success of his mission. And we pick up in his prayer in verse 12, he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it pass that as the damsel to whom I say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels um, drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast so kindness unto my master. And it shall come to pass, that, um, and it shall come, and it came to pass that before he was done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. It says, and it came to pass before he was even done speaking, before he was done praying, that Rebekah came out. Listen, God's plan is proactive, like I said two weeks ago. He knew the answer before the question was even finished. And that leads me kind of to my first point for this morning. We need to be aware. We need to be attentive. We need to be paying um, attention, and we need to be active, as it were. Can I ask you something? How did Eliezer know that Rebekah um, was on her way before he was even done praying? See, I wonder if we ever miss the opportunity or the answer because we just weren't paying attention, right? Like sometimes it's not enough just to pray about it. Sometimes it's not enough. You, you have to be aware. You have to be attentive. You have to be actively searching for the answer. Proverbs um, chapter 2, it states this, My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou shalt incline thy ear to wisdom and apply thy heart unto understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, and if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hidden treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. Receive, hide, incline, apply, cry, Seek, search, all action words, you understand? Sometimes we don't find the will of God. We don't find God's will. We miss his opportunities um, because we still have our eyes closed to the answers. 
You understand? Sometimes I think we miss the opportunities that he puts in front of us. Sometimes I think we miss the answers to his prayers because we still have our eyes closed to his answers. But Eliezer's praying. He's seeking the Lord's answer. He lays out a fleece stating, listen, I'm going to ask a damsel for a drink of water. God, let the one who who gives me drink, but also um, gives my camels drink, which would have been a huge undertaking. Let that one be the one that you have for Isaac. And before he can even finish his prayer, here comes Rebecca. And spoiler alert, listen, if you're unfamiliar with the story, everything happens. Everything happens, right? This is the one. Everything happens just as he has prayed. Right? He gives her gifts, gold earrings, bracelets, right? And because hospitality is the law of the land in that day, um, he's eventually brought into the family's house to lodge um, there for the evening. And this is where I want to pick up in a rather larger um, piece of scripture. So read along with me in verse um, 32. It says, and the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and he gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet and the men's feet that were with him. And there was set meat before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told mine errand. And he said, speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant, and the Lord hath blessed my master greatly. He has become great, and he hath given him flocks and herds, and silver and gold, and men servants and maid servants, and camels and asses. And Sarah, my master's wife, she bare a son to my master when she was old. Unto him he hath given all that he hath. That's interesting because Jesus said, All power and authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Verse 37 And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. Thou shalt go into the father's house, unto my father's house, unto my kindred, and take a wife unto my son. And he said unto my, and I said unto my master, Peradventure, the, the woman will not follow me. And he said, The Lord before whom I walk will send his angel with thee and make thy way prosperous. And thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. And then thou shalt be clear um, of this oath when thou comest to my kindred. And if they give not one unto thee, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day to the well, and I said, O God of my master Abraham, if thou now do prosper my way which I go, behold, I stand in the well of I stand at the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when a virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say unto her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink. And she say unto me, Both drink thou and um, I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out of my master's son. And before I had done speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down into the well, and she drew water. And, and I said unto her, Let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. So I drank, and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her, um, whose daughter art thou? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Melchah bore to him. And I put an earring upon her face and bracelets upon her hands, and I bowed down my head, and I worshiped the Lord and blessed um, the Lord God of my master Abraham, which hath led me right um, in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter unto his son. 
And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And this leads me into my second point that I want to make this morning. And it's this. Our mission is important. Right? We need to be alert, aware, attentive, right? Actively seeking out because our mission is important. You understand the servant wouldn't eat until he had fulfilled his mission, right? Jesus said in John 4, he said, but he said unto them, I have meat, right, to eat that you know not of. And his disciples struggled a bit with this saying, right? But he goes on to say, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The servant in this story illustrates the work of the Holy Spirit in the world today, if you haven't caught on, right? And he uses us to witness about Jesus Christ. Acts 1.8 says this, but ye shall be my witnesses, or but ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost is coming to you, and ye shall be my witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the utmost parts of the earth. Like notice, not one time, I read the entire passage for a reason, not one time does Eliezer speak of himself, not once. Rather, he only speaks of Isaac, he speaks of his great wealth, he speaks of his mission, Right? It was John the Baptist who proclaimed, he must increase, but I must decrease. Jesus said in John chapter 15, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of who? Of me, of him, of Jesus. Not of myself, not of the things I got going on, not of the things I'm interested in, but of him. John 16 Jesus said, how be it when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you the things that is to come, and he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto me. And we see in the passage that Eliezer gave Rebecca gifts, and it's, it's proof of his master's wealth. She says, listen, my master is rich. God has blessed him in everything. And, he, and he, she receives gifts as proof of his, of his wealth. He didn't force Rebecca to, to marry Isaac. We didn't see one time that, it, that he forced her to do anything. He merely gave her the facts and the opportunity to make a decision. Listen, our, our mission is very important, Right? It is very important. So there's nothing wrong with urging somebody, right, to come to the wedding, as it were. There's nothing wrong with urging somebody to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. But can I tell you something? Be careful trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, listen, be careful trying to do the work that only the Holy Spirit um, can do. It's only him who convicts the human heart. But our mission is important, and our mission is imperative. Right, that is to say, it is urgent. Pick up with me in verse 50. Then Laban, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing proceedeth from the Lord. Obviously, there's something going on here. Obviously, God's working. It must be of him. It says, we cannot speak unto thee, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go, and let her be thy master's son's wife, as the Lord hath spoken. And it came to pass that when Abraham's servants heard the words, he worshiped the Lord, he bowed himself before the earth. And the servant bought forth jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And he gave them to Rebekah, and he gave also unto her brother and to her mother precious things. Do you know that God gives each one of us gifts in order to be used to glorify him, to speak to just how awesome he is so that others may come to Christ? Verse 54, and they did eat and they drank. 
he and the men that were with him. And they tarried there all night and they rose up in the morning and he said, send me away unto my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least 10 and after that, she shall go. So they ask for 10 more days before she leaves home. This seems like a natural um, request. Obviously, mom and dad would have wanted to spend as much time with their daughter as possible um, before she goes. Perhaps they would have even wanted to invite others over to celebrate. Just as a servant would not delay his presentation uh, of his petition, so he would not delay the completion of his mission. His mission was imperative. Our mission is imperative. Right? This whole story is an important part of God's plan. It's a picture, if you will, worth a thousand words. It's a part of his plan of salvation as the promised blessings of the Savior would come through Abraham and Isaac's family's tree. But it's also a foreshadowing, if you will, of what is to come. Right? The rapture is what is referred to as an imminent event right? in eschatology. And it's just a big word for the study of all things in times, right? And what I mean by it is an imminent event, right? I mean this, according to the timelines provided in scripture, all things that had to happen before Jesus could return have already taken place, right? Thus he could come back at any time. That's what I mean when I say it is imminent. Thus his return could happen at any time. The next event on the eschatological timeline following the rapture is a seven-year period that is referred to as the tribulation. Right, this is when God will pour out his wrath and his judgment on unrepentant sinners. And listen, I don't know about you, but I'm sure I'm glad I won't be here. Right, because the Bible, like I know I'm not gonna be here because the Bible teaches that God poured out his wrath due our sins on his son Jesus for all those who are willing to believe in him. Right, all those who have placed their faith or trust in him, they have repented of their sins. If you have been saved, Jesus took the wrath of God for your sins already. He'll not suffer you to go through it another seven years. We won't be here. But we have an important mission to share the love of Christ, to extend, extend the invitation to the wedding, if you will, to anyone and everyone. Our mission is important. It is urgent. It is imperative because his return is imminent. Our Savior is preparing a place for his bride, the church, the called out assembly of baptized believers. And we are told, I already read, with the shout of an angel, the blast of a trump, we'll be called to meet the bridegroom in the sky where we'll be finally freed from the effects of sin and its curse in preparation for the great wedding feast. That's why when Jesus gave a parable in Matthew 22, this is how it began. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son and he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. And if you're familiar with it, listen, the first set of people he invited, they refused to come. The second set delayed. Eventually, right, they go out into the highways and the hedges to invite everyone, both good and bad. Verse 55 Genesis 24, verse 55, and her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few more days, at least 10. After that, she shall go. And he said unto them, hinder me not, seeing that the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go unto my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebekah and they said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. 
right? Like, listen, note here the qualifications that was, that was uh, uh, set forth for Rebecca, right? Uh, the only question that's asked is, will you go? Are you willing to go? He doesn't ask, listen, have you been good lately? Did you go to church the last few Sundays, right? He doesn't ask what kind of neighbor she's been. Doesn't ask if she sinned recently. Doesn't ask anything. The only thing that he asks, the only thing that Eliezer asks of her is, are you willing to go? What motivated Rebecca to make the right decision? What was it that motivated her? She heard the word about Isaac. She believed it. She saw the proof of his greatness, the proof of his generosity and his wealth, and she wanted to belong to him for the rest of her life. She had never seen Isaac, but what she had heard about him convinced her to go to Canaan, to the promised land, with the servant. She had never seen Isaac, but the things that the comforter proclaimed to her and showed her about his master convinced her to go to the promised land. Listen, the application is obvious for those who may be unsaved today. Listen, do not delay making a decision for Christ. If you're here today, you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, can I just ask you something? Listen, do not delay to make a decision for him. It's a decision based on faith, based on the evidence provided um, by the Holy Spirit, and he uses, right, the word of God and the witnesses of those who make up his church. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you're lost, you've never made a decision for Jesus, you don't have a relationship with him, you are in danger of losing the opportunity to belong to God's family, right? To spend an eternity with him in the place that he's been preparing for us. The writer of Hebrews said this in chapter 3, Three, he says, um, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Right, listen, behold, this is the accepted time that Paul says. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Right, regarding our passage this morning, Charles Spurgeon once said this to his London congregation. He said, 10 days did not seem too long, but they might have been 10 days too late. One day doesn't seem much, but one day more might be too late. One day too late is to be late forever. Yea, one minute late is an eternity too late. Listen, if you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you know that deep in your heart, can I just please, I beg you, the only question that ought to be on your mind today is not what is he talking about, what is he wearing, what is this place, they're, they're kind of weird. The only question that should be in your heart and on your mind is what must I do to be saved? And that we find the answer plainly, it's written in Acts Chapter 16, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Paul said it this way. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't worry about the right words to say. Just call out upon him in faith with a repentant heart. And the Bible tells us that he will be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Gosh, I pray you'll do just that. Verse 61, and Rebekah arose and her damsels and they rode upon the camels and they followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And Isaac came from the way of the well of Lahorim, and he dwelt in the south country. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw, and behold, the camels were coming. He went to meet his bride at eventime, or evening. In the Jewish culture, 
The day officially ended at dark. Thus, a new day began. Romans 13, some suggest, it suggests that Jesus will return for his bride, the church, at a time of spiritual darkness. Verse 64, and Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she lighted off the camel. For she had said unto the servant, What man is it that walketh in the field to meet us? And the servant said, It is my master. Therefore she took a veil, and she covered herself. Just as a new day was dawning for Rebecca, so will be the coming of Jesus Christ, usher in a new day for his people, the church. Right, but that meeting involves so much more than just the claiming of a bride for the bridegroom. Look at verse 66. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Right, because his mission was important. Because his mission was imperative. It was urgent. The servant had to give an account for what he had done to his master. When Jesus Christ returns, it won't just be a wedding feast. You understand there will also be a solemn judgment seat where, where our works will be examined. What have you done with the mission that I set forth? It was important and it was imperative. Did you accomplish what I sent you to do? Verse 67, and Isaac bought her into his mother's, into her mother's tent, mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforter, comforted after his mother's death. Isaac, it was, it was love at first sight. But what did Jesus see in us? Right? For him, it was love at first sight. What did he, what did he see in us? We were rebellious sinners. Right? The Bible says literally at enmity with God before we had a relationship with him through Jesus, at war with him. It says that our works are as filthy rags. We have nothing to brag about. There's no merit. And yet Jesus loved us, and he died for us. Rebecca had received a few gifts from Isaac, but now that she was his very own, she possessed all that he had. Their lives were one, and so it is with Christ and the church. Right? And this is a beautiful picture of just how rich we are in Jesus Christ. Right? Made all possible through the wooing of the Holy Spirit right? and the faithful witness of the Father's servants. And if you already belong to Jesus, man, I pray that you'd be like the faithful servant Eliezer. Or you'd be willing to tell others about the good news. And listen, it's not this huge task. You don't have to know everything. All you have to do is extend the invitation. Are you willing to come? I pray that you would be willing to tell others I'm about this glorious wedding and the feast that is to come and invite them to say, I will go. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.